to you in peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that engages us is from the section just read, specifically Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who dwells in eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and with him whose spirit is crushed and whose heart is lowly, to enliven the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the crushed. Imagine there's a person standing outside the White House in Washington, D.C., seeking access to the President of the United States. Better yet, imagine that person is you. There you are in fine form. Your hair is combed, shoes are shined, and you are dressed in your Sunday best. There are some burning issues you have to take up with the commander-in-chief, like the new highway in town. It doesn't have access close enough to your home. And then there's that issue of income taxes. They are too high for you and too low for everybody else. And then there's that sticky matter of student loans. Can't the president make a couple of phone calls and get you off the hook? (laughs) But let's be honest. (laughs) There are massive barriers between you and the president. The gates are locked. His staff doesn't know your name. And the Secret Service, they have orders to shoot first and ask questions later. It's a little fun, especially after the State of the Union address, to imagine access to Barack Obama. But let's be honest. It's just not going to happen. Face the facts. Most of the time in life, we don't have the right connections with the right people who are in the right places at the right time to accomplish all the right things. If we could just get (laughs) access. Well, just suppose the president looks out his window on Pennsylvania Avenue, and (laughs) he sees you, and he gives orders to his security people to escort you right smack dab in the middle of the Oval Office, and he listens attentively to all your needs and does exactly what you ask. Too good to be true? (laughs) That's for sure with Barack Obama. But with the king of the universe, you have a friend in high places. Isaiah 57, 15 begins, this is what the high and lofty one says, he who dwells in eternity, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Normally in the Old Testament, Yahweh is envisioned as dwelling in Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple, David's city, or in Mount Zion. But here Isaiah says Yahweh dwells in eternity. In the book of Isaiah, Yahweh is the eternal, 
all-powerful, all-knowing, and only God. Why, in chapter 40, Yahweh is envisioned as sitting on the circle of the earth, looking down, and we look to Him as grasshoppers. Again, in chapter 40, all the nations of the earth are pictured as a drop in the bucket, as dust in a scale. And in chapter 6, we all know the seraphim continually shield their eyes and cover their feet as they cry out, holy, holy, holy. No wonder in our text Isaiah says that, that Yahweh's place and His name are both kadosh, holy. Sixty-nine times the prophet uses the word kadosh, holy. Nineteen times he says Yahweh is kadosh Yisrael, the Holy One of Israel. Yahweh is separate, distinct, unique, completely removed from planet Earth. <laughs> Talk about barriers. <laughs> Talk about how hard it is to get in. Because, see, everyone who is unclean and sinful must stay out. But the text goes on to say, that Yahweh dwells with him who is crushed and lowly in spirit. Now, I know what you're thinking because I've thought this at least a million times. If I can get really crushed and really lowly, I can get access to Yahweh. Well, good luck with that. Because the Bible says you and I are intoxicated with something that is just the opposite. It's called pride. And Isaiah insists in chapter 2 that Yahweh is against every form of pride. Yahweh is against everything that exalted, Isaiah says. Against all the cedars of Lebanon. Against everything that is high and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against every towering mountain and every high hill, against every fortified wall and every high tower, against all of the ships of Tarshish and every stately vessel. And we're told two times in this chapter, Venice, Gav, Yahweh, Lebedoba, Yom, Hahu. On that day, Yahweh alone will be exalted. You see, Yahweh tolerates no rivals. There are proud people throughout the book of Isaiah who ignore chapter 2. Ahaz in chapter 7, <laughs> I won't ask for a sign. Sargon II in chapter 14, I'll make myself like the Most High. Sennacherib in chapter 36, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh. Gregory the Great says that pride is the mother of all sins. Medieval theologians pictured pride as a peacock arrogantly strutting her stuff. Milton in Paradise Lost depicts pride with these damning words, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And Luther's dictum, omni peccatum est suburbia, all sin is pride. Pride prevents us from saying the three hardest words in the English language. I was wrong. Or the four hardest words. 
I am not perfect. Or the five hardest words, I guess you're right. Or the six hardest words, I think I need some help. Well, you get the idea. This kind of pride blocks access over and over again to Yahweh, for He is high and lifted up, and He only dwells with Him who is crushed and lowly in spirit. So I guess that leaves us outside, shuffling along that sorry sidewalk, thinking we have no access to the King. (laughs) Right? Wrong. There is one person in the book of Isaiah who is completely crushed and absolutely lowly, and he is our access. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But in an ironic twist, This crushed one once inhabited eternity with Yahweh. He was the recipient of the seraphim's holy, holy, holy from eternity past. But then he took a step down, past the solar systems, past the galaxies, past the the moon, the stars, the sun, and in the silence of a night, in the warmth of a candle, he came in the whisper of a baby because Isaiah goes on to say in 53.10, it was Yahweh's will, as part of the plan, to crush him. One night the disciples were sound asleep, And the next minute, they were (laughs) quickly afoot. The next day, all the Jews wanted was Barabbas. And all the soldiers wanted was to have a little fun. Herod wanted a show. (laughs) Pilate wanted out. Caiaphas wanted death. And the executioners, all they wanted was just Jesus' blood. The strategy was singular, wasn't it? Beat him within an inch of death and then stop. Then they shoved the crossbar on his lacerated back, and there they led him to the place of the skull, and there he was absolutely and totally crushed with threats and thorns. But Isaiah 57, 15 goes on to say that Yahweh will enliven the spirit of the lonely and he will revive the heart of the crushed, which among other things means that it was not only Yahweh's will to crush Jesus, but also to revive him, enliven him. Yes, raise him from the dead. And this is the game changer. And it means what Hebrews 10, 19 says, among other things. Brothers, sisters, we have confidence, confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood 
of Jesus. Imagine that. In Jesus Christ, we finally have access. <laughs> we have the right connections with the right person at the right time who's in the right place to do all the right things to the glory and honor of our God. So why so often do you and I stand outside shuffling along that sorry sidewalk, feeling as though we have no access to the most powerful person in the universe. <laughs> because we do. The veil is rent, the blood is poured, the sacrifice is complete, and paradise is restored forevermore. John Newton put it this way. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to stand and sing.